a lot of people might look at the things that you talk about, right? This, this as science, and they might think, okay, well, this person is trying to manipulate the consumer. Have you thought about about as you're mm. studying this? Am I actually manipulating people, or am I using this as a tool to help them make a decision? A decision that's going to help them in the long term. I mean, what a question. It's a tough one to answer because if we're coming at it from a marketing standpoint, if sending an ad to someone makes them change their behavior and we know it makes them change their behavior, which is all I'm trying to do, and you could argue that's manipulative. Yeah, you could. Yeah. The reason why I don't think it is, you know, I didn't really believe people were properly irrational until I heard this one. So there's obviously scarcity, the idea that we value scarce resources much higher. But one of my favorite examples of this is a, is a study in a supermarket in the States. And in the study, they had big signs up which said, buy soup. Then they tried a scarcity variant and all it said was buy soup and then a little star and underneath it said something like limited to 12 cans per customer. Now this is <laughs> irrational. Nobody was buying 12 cans of soup prior to it. But that one message made the soup seem scarce. The amount of soup people bought. We've got some hey, I'm Luis. And I'm Fonzie. Welcome to Content is Profit Podcast. In here, you're going to get the insights, accountability, and drive to create consistently and increase revenue. You'll hear from top entrepreneurs, creators, and anything and everything you need to know about content. All this while having a good time. Ooh, the goal of this podcast is simple. Entertain, educate, and turn your content into profit. I I, th I took this, the horn because you said it right. I know. Entertain. Appreciate it. Good I, job. I, I, Fonzie, you, I actually was practice? going through my mind. My my internal voice as I was reading the rest of the intro was like, you nailed it. Good job. <laughs> I did an internal fist bump. Good job. <laughs> all right, Fonzie, what are we talking about today? Guys, today we're learning all about the science behind great marketing. And disclaimer out there, I did take this straight out of our guest website, but... I should have worn it is uh, so, because Kate it is, is so uh, good. Lab coat. Uh, that would have been great. Oh, that would have been good. That would have been great. Yeah, that would have been a great idea. But it didn't happen. Hashtag anyway. fail. <laughs> Hashtag fail. Uh, anyways, guys, if you are enjoying this show, make sure to subscribe, follow, uh, send us a DM, whatever you want to do. Send us a quick uh, subscription, subscription, subscription. What, yeah. What's happening, Luis? It's just going downhill from here, guys. Yeah, just and like, and just engage with the show. Since you and didn't mention it, way. the handle is <laughs> at BizBrosCo. Also, if today's guest helped you move one step closer towards your goal, please don't forget to share this episode. And of course, Leave an honest review. Thank so you. So we are back with another member of the Hotspot Podcast Network and Creator Program family, the master of behavioral science himself. Whee! That is right. Today's guest is a marketer to the core. And not to be creepy, but he probably knows exactly why you are making some of those debatable decisions in life. <laughs> if you are trying to stay broke then you should not listen to today's guest. Besides helping people crush their marketing efforts, he's senior product marketer at Buffer and host of one of the most practicable, practicable, pra practicable, practicable, just, I think that's the right, right word. word. Okay. I, so. I hope so. Practical marketing podcast, Nudge Podcast. Please welcome, soon to be your favorite marketer, Phil Agnew. Let's go. <laughs> Wow, wow, wow. What an intro. Hey, <laughs> you two are pros at this. I was sitting there thinking, this guy sounds worth listening to. He sounds interesting. And then I realized you were talking about me. And I was like, oh, crap. Oh, no. Phil, welcome too to humble, the show. Too humble, yeah, Phil. Too humble. Uh, okay. 
question. We were talking like behind cameras a little bit to start the show, right? We're obviously football fans. For those listening in the States, uh, that's soccer. Yeah. But if you didn't <laughs> notice, Phil has a really cool accent here. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he's from, from London. And uh, Fonzie here is he's a fan of a London team. And like we legit were like discussing for about 10 minutes. Like, the best team in the world, <laughs> what, I must what say. What team? And, and Phil would not say. And he says that's the best, best team. Fonzie says that's the best team. And we honestly don't know what's about to happen, but they're going to reveal what, what team that is. It's a I, I am a, a Spanish football Barcelona fan since nobody, like nobody 1999. So it's okay. Uh, and uh, But anyways, so uh, who wants to go first? Phil, Phil, you go. <laughs> I'll give you the honors. Yeah, so to the listeners, I, I they said, are you a football fan? I said, yeah, I'm in London. And they said, who do you support? And I said, tongue in cheek. I support the best club in London. And then I thought they'd be like, bang, got it. Got it. There's only one. But they didn't. Um, but So I support the best club, which, as all three of us know, is Chelsea. Oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh. Get out of here, Phil. Get out of here. Look at this. Best oh, I team in the world. I knew. Oh, best team in the okay, world right so here. So a little context. Fonzie is yeah, an Arsenal yeah. fan. Phil is a Chelsea fan. Let us know in the comments. Send us a DM. Who's your team? But uh, North I mean, London I'm forever. Gonna, <laughs> I'm just going to say this. Uh, I'm just going to say job. this. Uh, Barca Chelsea Champions League semifinal. Uh, Barca Arsenal Champions League final. I am sorry, guys. Uh, I think I think I win on this one. Yeah, that's fine. Phil. <laughs> he, he can, he can live his own world. In 2012, and I saw a very different thing, very different story there. All uh, right, Phil, we, we can we can have one of these days a full on debate on which one is the best football team in the world, even though we all know it's Arsenal. But for those that are listening right now, you know, for for the I guess the Chelsea fans that stay listening, you know, because all the Arsenal followers might have left right now, which is their loss because they're, they're, they're about to learn a lot, right? But Phil, why don't you share a little bit about yourself? Uh, how did you get to where you are right now? Oh, cheers, folks. Um, yeah, so yeah, I'm Phil Agnew. I am a yeah, marketer by trade, been in marketing for going on eight, nine years now. And um, I studied marketing at university as well. Um, which is kind of a bit odd. Like, feels like that's not like a normal thing. I always feel like I'm a bit weird when I say I'm in marketing <laughs> and I studied marketing. It's like, come on, get a life. Um, but anyway, I did that. And like, disclaimer, didn't think it was the best use of my money. It's very expensive here in the UK. And I got into marketing, got into my first marketing job, was doing community management for a company down in Brighton. And I basically found myself thinking, this is really hard. I'm not, I'm not that good at this. And I should be a lot better because I've spent 50 grand, I've done four years worth of training, I've been training on the job, why am I not much better than this? If I had spent that amount of time learning to be a doctor, I'd be a fairly good doctor by that stage. I wouldn't be just woeful. Mm. And it wasn't until later on in my career that I discovered behavioral science and consumer psychology and just psychology in general and started to learn some of the principles behind why people make decisions and start to apply those principles to marketing that I started to find success in my role. I started to get repeatable success. I started to be like that doctor or lawyer to some extent who encounters a problem and is able to deal with it because they have a set of laws which they can rely on. That's how I felt when I sort of discovered behavioral science. Mm. So I got really addicted to behavioral science. I read everything there was to read, spent a lot of time working with behavioral scientists as well, just to learn from them. And in 2019, started a show called Nudge, which is obviously named after one of the most famous behavioral science books, which by Richard Faller and Cass Sunstein. Um, and yeah, since then, I've been running Nudge, releasing episodes every two weeks with 
brilliant guests, folks like Rory Sutherland, Nia Eel, uh, Bruce Daisley, Natalina High, loads of wonderful people have been on the show talking about how we make decisions. And I've spent all this time learning how we make decisions and I've been applying it to my job as a marketer. And yeah, hopefully we can dig into a little bit of that today. Dude, absolutely. Uh, just so you know, I don't know if you noticed, but I used one of your tips in the intro, right? Oh, yeah? Yeah, it said, if people will listen more if you tell them not to listen. So I was like, hey, if you want to stay broke, do not listen to this episode. Uh, mm. Maybe I didn't apply yeah. correctly, but, you know, <laughs> I, I tried. I improvement through repetition. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. There's a lot behind that tip, which I'm sure we can get into. It's, uh, it's a gnarly one, for yeah. sure. Absolutely, uh, man. Phil, uh, why... Why you decided to publish around, you know, what, what you like and your passion that you found, right, in behavioral science, right? I don't, I don't think that's like, you know, you, you go to content creators and you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, I want to start like this page on, I don't know, maybe football or Chelsea. But you went to like <laughs> this niche, right? Like, I'm very curious because uh, for us, you know, when we started Content Profit, it was not maybe not the first choice it was like out of like a need for the business like we were like hell mary like this is the thing that has to work because if not in two months we're out of business and thank god it did work <laughs> so you know 300 plus episodes we're still here thank god yeah knock on wood but you know i'm very curious like what what um what primed that thought of starting publishing up around that and then how do you make the connection right with what you do in your professional life or with your business or what what you do around that yeah so I mean, it's partly just I wanted to speak to people smarter than me and having a podcast is a great way to do that when I started up. So that was a big part of it. Um, a good example, that I'm reading a book at the moment called The Art of Thinking Clearly, and it's a book about all these behavioral biases. And there's one great example he gives, the author gives of sort of survivorship bias, which is a problem that we have in business. And this, ex this example of, I think it's originally from Taleb and um, the philosopher Taleb, and it's this example where if you get 50,000 monkeys and get them to bet on whether the stock market will grow or decrease over a sort of week period, um, half of them will get it right. You'll get 25,000 monkeys to get it right. If you repeat that 20 times, or however many times, you will eventually end up with a group of five monkeys or 20 monkeys who have consistently predicted the stock market to be correct, time after time after time after time after time after again. And people would be saying, these monkeys are geniuses. They are this, <laughs> it's unbelievable. We should follow every single, everything this monkey tells us, we should follow it. Um, and it sounds ridiculous because I'm using the example of monkeys, but that is the example. <laughs> if yeah. you just say business people rather than monkeys, like we follow very successful business people because they've had success without acknowledging that really success in more, most cases is, is, is heavily down to luck, heavily down to fluke and is rarely down to natural talent. I mean, just look at mm. the incredible, yeah. incredibly disproportionate number of white male people in the business world compared to, you know, the major mm -hmm. uh, races, religions, genders in, in the world. It's, it's completely unjust. And one of the reasons why I was so attracted to behavior science is I was really bored and really tired of marketing BS really just fed up of just reading the same old advice by the same old dudes, you know, this classic survivorship bias of you only go to a talk at a conference if it's got Facebook or Google or Apple, you know, as one of the speakers. And we're all just, we're all learning stuff, which is nothing more than gut instinct and experience and stories. And I wanted to learn stuff that had been tested, science. Mm -hmm. I wanted to learn stuff that had repeatable results. I wanted 
to start to apply things to my work that I knew people had actually tried themselves and mm-hmm. and, and and not tried themselves on a one-to-one level, but at, you know, at a much larger level, stuff that I could apply. So that's really why I was attracted to behavior science. That's really why I wanted to make a podcast about it and why I feel so strongly about it today. Because I feel like marketing, a lot of marketing is full, you know, a bit of marketing BS. Yeah. There's way too much of it in our field and way too much of it in the business field. And I'm on my little crusade to try and say, no, let's test things. Let's apply science and let's go from there. What, what yeah. do you call marketing BS? I'm very curious. What do I call marketing BS? Yeah. Or, <laughs> you don't, or, like, <laughs> or what is marketing not like BS? The acronym. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. We know what uh, the what? acronym stands for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, mean, I mean, translation, mar- marketing bullshit, right? Like, it's fine. But, like, I'm, I'm curious, like, what, what, what is it, right? Because, you know, we came yeah. from this world of, like, direct response marketers and, like, uh, you know, the, uh-huh. the click funnel world. And, you know, we've been, like, levitating out of that. Like, we use the tool for some things. But it's crazy. And you, you start learning from these people that are very loud or, like, you consume this content from people that are very, very loud but at the same time they do use i'm sure a lot of these principles that you talk about right to influence yep. people and and i'm gonna say help them make a decision so yeah i'm, I'm same curious like what do you consider bs marketing yeah so i mean i'm not gonna throw people under the bus because i mean i should i should have some <laughs> we, we can we game. can throw fans under the bus that's fine definitely not you no, like so marketing bs like Mm. The, the most successful business book of, of probably this year will be some sort of autobiography. It will be some sort of rich dude who's got been very successful, writes about their success and says, look, here's all these wonderful things I wrote about. You know, here's, here's my story. Or it's somebody who's actually making a living selling books and is, is only got the goal of selling more books and, and, and that's their story. Yeah. That's what I'd classify as marketing BS. Uh, maybe it's easier to say, like, what do I not think is BS? And I would point out, to like books like this this is robert Ooh, cialdini's yes. influence robert cialdini's a social scientist at uh, uh, arizona university he does all his research applies his stuff himself tests it the stuff in there and the mm-hmm. stuff in his new book that i wouldn't 100 agree with but like he's testing it and he's, he's working it and, it and people can build on it and then you've got folks like richard shotton who wrote Just the choice it. factory mm-hmm. he's not a scientist he's just a marketer who is applying these principles running his own tests yep. and then sharing those results to the world you know, that stuff you can get behind, that stuff you can it. learn about. And that's what I mean. Like, I want to read it. books which don't start with, I was born in Washington, D.C., <laughs> 1960, <laughs> or whatever. I, I don't know why they've got that accent either. Yeah. But I don't want to read books where it's like, you know, here's my life story. Yep. If yep. you wake up at 6 a.m., do yoga, take a cold shower, you'll be as successful <laughs> as me. I want to I want to read a book where it's like, here is this known bias that we have known about for 100 years. Here's me applying it to an ad. Here's the results I got. I'm not saying you should do it, but test it because it might work for you. That's mm. what I want to read. And I think that's the difference between behavioral science and, and some of the marketing BS that I spoke yeah. about. So lots of, I'm hearing data-driven uh, you know, marketing, right? Things that again have been yeah. tested multiple times. There's numbers behind it in the sense of like, hey, we tested this with a certain amount of population. These are the results. It's a little bit. It sounds like a little bit more tangible in a way. Right? Maybe, yeah. Maybe not data driven. Maybe peer reviewed is what you would class, mm. classify as. Because I think data driven it can mean anything. It can just mean yeah. you know, oh, we do a little test ourselves. It's yeah, like, and, nah, you, and you can let's frame lean data. on the science. Let's lean on professionals and see. What yeah, and you can frame data, right? Like however, like the angle that you really want to use it for, right? Like, and yeah. and we've yeah. talked about this on the show. Um, you know that that great line <laughs> we, we've discussed this yeah. on on titles oh, yeah. and headlines and things, right? And Fonsi Moore on the side of like 
you know, Luis, you're, you're, you know, you're crossing that line. And I'm like, well, no, I'm really so, at the edge of that gray line. Right. I'm like, uh, but I, I get it. Right. Because we've been involved and it's, and it's crazy because there might be a lot of people listening to, to the show today that are in that where we were there. And until we didn't see like something from outside and we didn't educate ourselves or we continue to have this conversation through podcasts, for example, right? Like we're like, okay, this is opening our world right after 300. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to throw this out there. I still love direct response marketing. I think it's absolutely amazing. And he did, actually he, he didn't say bullshit marketing was direct know, response. Marketing. I know, I know, no, but, <laughs> but I know I, I agree, but click funnels is, is, is highly, highly linked to direct response marketing and they don't have a really good, you know, I'm, I'm not like putting up and down anybody here, but you know, they, they have a lot of haters, right? But what I'm going to say here is, and going back to, I have, I have like two questions. So I got to pick which one I'm going to ask first. <laughs> and I guess the first one, right? Since we are talking about gray lines and all this thing is a lot of people might look at the things that you talk about, right? This, this uh, science and they might think, Okay, well, this person is trying to manipulate the consumer, right? In a way. Uh, that's not how I think. I just want to put it out there. But mm -hmm. I think it is a, it's, it's a serious concern, right? That is something that we've heard a lot in this other market, right? It's like, oh, man, all these guys do is, is, is very manipulative. They're just trying to get people to spend their money, X, Y, and Z. So I'm curious, how do you... Like, have you ever approached that in a sense, right? Have you thought about, about as you're mm. studying this, am I actually manipulating people or am I using this as a tool to help them make a, decis a decision that's going to help them in the long term? Mm. Yeah. I mean, what a question. It's a tough one to answer because if we're coming at it from a marketing standpoint, mm. well, all marketing is manipulative. If, 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 if sending an ad to someone makes them change their behavior and we know it makes them change their behavior, which is all I'm trying to do, And you could argue that's manipulative. Yeah, you yeah. could. The reason why I don't think it is, or the reason why, or it might, you know, it may well be. I've got a lot. There's a lot <laughs> wrong with advertising at the moment. There's, <laughs> I, like, yeah. there's a lot I hate about it. You know, I'm a marketer with ad block on everything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like the the point, if we even remove it out of that, like let's let's just go down to. There's a great example of Google running an experiment in their cafeterias, and Google wanted to get more people to eat healthy food. Why? Because in general, we all want to eat healthier. If our staff eat healthier, they get sick less, they stay alive for longer, they're fitter, they, you know, there's all the benefits you get from that. So they wanted people to eat healthier. So they did some nudges to change perception. They, they, they reframed things. They basically put stuff like all of the fruit and veg at eye level. They put all of the fizzy soft drinks behind an opaque glass and they put all of the water behind a transparent glass they put the sweets slightly out of arm's reach they made the plate slightly smaller made all these little tweaks all these nudges lo and behold people were consuming far less calories they were eating far more healthily once yeah. they made this change and that once they realized this they then have this dilemma of like oh crap do is this are we manipulating people Should we do this? We don't know if we should, should we should do this. And there's a real debate internally of like, oh, we're manipulating people to eat healthier. Maybe we should put it back to the old way. Mm. But then think about the old way. That is manipulating people as well. It is because you've put the chocolate at eye level. You've put the fizzy drinks in a transparent container. You've put the water behind opaque glass. Like you're, you're manipulating people in the same way. And I think what you need to do is you need to go in with a mindset of mm. who am I trying to help? Um, how am I trying to help them? How am I trying to maybe influence them? But more importantly, if I was being influenced in the same way, so if this was happening to me, 
would I agree with it? Like, is it is it is it in line with my values? If yeah. I went to Google, I'd say, yeah, keep it, keep it that way. Keep yeah. letting me try and eat healthier. I can make decisions on my own. Yep. Keep it that way. And if I'm as a marketer, if I see advertising that I think works, that I think clearly gets across a point, that encourages me to do something. I'm far more like I, I. I think that's better personally. I would love a world where there are ten ads, not ten thousands, but they're just really effective. Yeah. I'd love to see no more perfume ads. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Just oh, nonsense. Every yeah. time I see those, I'm like, who gets paid for this thing? Like, it they make no sense whatsoever. Um, exactly. Yeah. Without, and we're talking about one more thing is we're talking about advertising here. I'm not an advertiser. I'm a marketer. Yep. So actually, what I'm doing is helping brands sell their products to people who usually want to buy the products on a website mm -hmm. and so i'm applying this stuff to help them do the thing that they want to do anyway yeah. which is which is you know what 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 part of this product do i want how can i try it this yeah. sort of thing so that's that's my angle i, I find yeah. this so interesting how these tiny little changes right nudges like can cause <laughs> such a big change oh, yeah. right i mean this example that that you, that you just shared i i thought it was impressive right i Every freaking cafeteria and every school and everywhere here should be doing that stuff, right? Uh, but then there's probably marketing from the company that is selling the trash food, right? So they can get their stuff in front of yeah. the other stuff. That, and I, I think that's that's part of the the challenge in today's world and why so many people are now conscious about marketing and now calling it manipulative and all these things is, I mean... The, the access to information, right? And now you get slammed with ads and just any other sort of marketing. And so people are now so aware that when they see somebody that is potentially doing something a little bit more direct, right? Uh, they might get on a, on a defensive side, like, oh, why are you trying to do this? Why are you trying to make me make a, a decision right mm -hmm. now? Right? And I think mm -hmm. that's, that, that's part of it, why people are considering in a way manipulative. And there's a button like if you study behavior science, you'll understand that a hell of a lot better because what that is, is that's called reactance. So mm -hmm. what's happening there, there's studies where and you do this with children. If you've got kids, you'll be able to do this yourself. You bring a child into a room. This is studies have proved this and you put two toys in the room. One toy is right in front of them and one is behind a glass barrier. And you ask, which toy do you want to play with? A hundred percent of the time. It'll be the toy behind the glass barrier. Mm. You can then swap the toys at a later date, try it again. doesn't matter what the toy is. You want the thing that you can't have. And, and part of that is because you want to push back at the establishment. So you want to say, no, I don't want to, I don't want to be, you know, I want freedom of choice. I want to be able to choose what I want to choose. And if you understand reactants, if you understand that people react that way, you can actually build that into your marketing. So a good example in the UK is we have this um, uh, movement called Veganuary, which every January tries to get people to, to consume more, more vegan meals to build, you know, to make a more sustainable planet, a yeah. worthy cause in my, in my mind. Mm -hmm. Now, in the past, they've done marketing, which actually causes reactants. Stuff like mm -hmm. saying, and Beyond Meat have done this as well in the past, saying like, don't be a loser don't eat meat or like don't you know don't like basically essentially saying that if you yeah. eat meat you're a loser That's a, yeah well Where, whereas you know behavioral scientists look at that straight away and say don't say that definitely don't say that because yeah. all you're going to do is cause reactants all you're going to do is make people be um, defensive what you should try and do is make the behavior seem really commonplace so say mm -hmm. something along the lines of in the past five years three times as many people have tried meat-free products maybe it's time to try yours today or something along those lines so there's I think that's where I come from with it of like, you know, if you start to understand the principles behind people make behind how people make decisions, yeah, you'll be able to factor all this stuff in and and 
yeah. make marketing that actually yeah. works. Uh, I, I love this. And you know, when you were explaining the <clears throat> before reactants, there, there's two stories that came to mind. Uh, uh, I love a podcast, uh, Business Wars, right? And I there was a series there about diamonds and how, mm. you know, I, we come from Venezuela, our, just a little background, like our parents like never wore like their marriage rings or like they were never big into that stuff. And then when we come here to the States, when it was time for me to propose, I was very lucky because Katie was like, eh, whatever, you know, but the ring. And I was like, what is this thing with the rings? And you have to spend like two and a half like months of your salary to do this ring. And it's like, everybody's talking about the engagement ring, right? And, uh, you know, I was very lucky that, you know, Katie was that, you know, was not that girl, but she still got a ring. And I'm like, but like, why? Like, isn't this a commitment between two people? Like, it's just very weird. It was just very weird to me. And then I hear this story and it was. Oh, women listening to this are punching her right now. They're like, what are you talking about? They're, I'm not going to send this podcast to my boyfriend right now. <laughs> I don't care. I'll send it to him. Uh, but the, the Beers family, right, which control the diamonds mm -hmm. and, the, and the whole market, when they came to the States, they they established as a marketing campaign that to sell the the rings to be able to sell the rings they hired these Hollywood studios and the movies and all these movies around that time was they were framed to actually sell these diamonds and they actually decided the two and a half like salaries price point in an office and now this became this thing and now this obviously yeah. exploded and like you know I hear that story I'm like how many other things like we have believed from you know when we were born or things that our parents maybe uh, pass on to us or these companies pass on to us I'm like how much like of this is is marketing right breakfast the way that Americans do breakfast right it's a lot of it the cereal all this thing that's fast paced um um nutrition that a lot of people might be having negative reactions to right and you you start to think and, and question really like what is the ethics of marketing and what are these things and then there's a book uh called hate inc not to get political but i just want to mention it and it's the story of media here in the states on why they transition into a very polarizing and how like things are like really messed up in media today, mainstream media. Mm. And I thought it was super interesting because they talk about those same things and they're like, okay, they really mm. learn how humans behave. Right. And they, they exploited that for profits. And you're like, wow. And again, everybody has their point of view, but I think it's like pretty, pretty, pretty awesome point of view to like explore that route and we come I thought you were gonna say pretty awesome to exploit <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely definitely not Fonzie yeah, no. uh, off the mark uh, but you know we come from a we come from a socialist country communist country uh, with a dictatorship right and and we saw the whole propaganda we saw the whole thing we saw like that they mm -hmm. control people in, in different different aspects and different uh, environments right and it was really hard that's why we're here yeah. so uh, it, it just really it's home and I and I and I'm loving this topic and diving deep into into mm. all this right? i, I want to tell a quick thought here to that story about the diamonds right <laughs> if you look at it this is oversimplifying the whole story but okay they had the diamonds they placed them in the eyes of you know everybody that was watching movies you know they put it in the in the rings of the movie stars and i feel like that speaks to status do you want to be like this famous person, right? Do you want to have this romantic story? And people are like, yes, of course. And eventually everybody started getting into that. And this is something that we heard a, a long time ago that a lot of people make decisions based on status, right? Improving their status. And, and I'm curious, right? Like how much, and I'm not looking for like a clear number, but how much of this behavioral science goes around status and improving somebody's status and actually how effective it is mm. yeah we care an awful lot about how people think about us so our behavior changes dramatically 
when we ref when we're thinking not about ourselves as an individual but thinking about how others are perceiving us mm. so if you want to get people to conserve more energy this is a study done by o power i think in the uk they sent two groups of people their energy bill uh, one group of people just said the energy bill try and reduce your energy consumption is good for the environment the other said Honestly, like this, they weren't being disingenuous. This was mm. true for the people who, who were in this case. They said, oh, by the way, you're using more energy than your neighbors. Um, you might want to reduce. When people read that, they dramatically reduced their energy consumptions up to three years after they received that one letter. That's how powerful that is. You know, oh, just wow. thinking of yourself and, and compared to others changes your behavior. And I think the status one, you know, you're talking about De Beers, you're talking about how they got movie stars to wear the rings. For me, that's that's halo effect. So halo effect is... This is this is a hundred year old principle. So this yeah. is not a new thing. It was discovered hundred years ago, and it's it's been present not just in humans but in the species for eons. You know, gorillas have the halo effect, where we yeah. basically what you do is you see a individual that has one very positive trait. That could be that they are a CEO, or that they are a movie star, or that they are a rock star, or that they happen to be attractive or tall, and you assume that they have. A number of other traits that make them a positive person you assume that, that, that you, you you sort of embrace some positivity which is why george clooney who as far as i know knows nothing about coffee is the number one coffee salesman in the world and not the world's best barista you know it's why um i don't know all, all these examples you know why daniel craig sells watches when you know he's just an actor yeah. and the halo effect is more interesting it's way more interesting than just looking at how it's used in advertising because it affects us in all of our day-to-day. So there's this amazing study in Dutch supermarkets. Mm. And these two people sat outside a Dutch supermarket, which had one door, which you had to open. And, and you know, it was a small door, so you'd often open it and let people through. And they, and they measured how many people let others through. And what they were looking to see is if there was some sort of correlation or causation between the height of people and whether they were let through or not. And what they found is taller people, just because of their height, were significantly more likely to have the door held open for them by a smaller person. We have this bias mm. towards taller people. Same yeah, goes for beauty. Yeah. There's this famous studies which have found that people who are, who are attractive genuinely get an increase in pay. I think for males and women, it's an increase of around mm. £600 pounds or, or dollars per per year, which is the equivalent to some of the racial differences. <clears throat> you know, So, so beauty is a big one as well. Yeah. You've got you've got heaps of other stuff. There's this amazing study by I think it's Jayowitz, which looked at jaywalking in the um, Lefkowitz, I should say, which looked at jaywalking in the states, and he got his researchers to jaywalk across roads in the mm. states and, and see how many people would follow him, or see how many people would follow the researchers. When people are wearing denims and a t-shirt, very few people follow them. When people are wearing a suit suddenly three times oh, more people wow. follow them. We literally follow suits, not yeah. just in a business sense, in a general sense, illegally across the road. So a halo effect affects us in all sorts of ways. And just before we finish, I'll leave you with my number one favorite example of a halo effect, yeah? Yeah. So in the UK, back in the 80s, Cold War was raging. There was a genuine threat that nuclear bombs would be firing off between the US and Russia and that the UK would be stuck in the middle of it. So in the UK, the government issued a bunch of video preparation videos to try and get people to prepare for nuclear war. These were videos which told you what to do, where to go, how to act if nuclear war strikes. Who would you expect them to get to face these videos? You'd probably think prime minister, you know, head of the army, some sort of very trusted person. Nah. <laughs> They chose England footballer 
and Geordie, Kevin Keegan. <laughs> Kevin Keegan <laughs> went on to be England manager. He was the face of these campaigns. Wow. This footballer, who was like in his 30s at the time, had absolutely no experience with nuclear war, nothing like that. And yet people listen to this message. Why? Because he is a good footballer. And when yeah. somebody has a good skill, we assume them to have other good skills, we're more likely to take their advice. So the halo mm. effect is incredible. Yeah. I and mean, it's really something to be wary of, you know, as an individual. Yeah. I think, I, do, do I really like working here because I like the people or do I like working here because I think, <clears> you know, I'm just something about the CEO is making me think yeah. I should stick around. Do, wait, before you share your, your comment here, I'm, I'm first... I'm amazed at mm. all the stories that you know for each of the topics. Obviously, you are a master <laughs> of your craft, man. So congrats yeah. on that. Um, I do want to speak eventually. It doesn't have to be in this conversation today on how do you, you do your research and how you keep memorize all those stories because I find that absolutely amazing. And um, I mean, the, the other thing is... I mean, th this Wait, whole thing is blowing my mind. I, I just want to say, I understand now why I was not successful at the United <laughs> States bars when I came to college here in the state. I'm five seven. People here are taller. Twenty, like it's like now it makes a lot of sense. So yeah. you know that's why my wife is Canadian. Like she, she, she you know, she wasn't adhering to people were the opening halo the door for him. The states, you know, so I, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, I feel like this is this is so good. This is my the question that I have is. I feel like you have this level of awareness now on how, you know, people can, again, influence decisions all over the place. And I think it, that that gets to be fun to an extent because you now see every sort of marketing and you're like, ooh, they could do this better or, or wow, that is great because of this. Or you see people taking action and you're like, okay, they're doing it because of X, Y, and Z reason. But I'm extremely curious on how all this knowledge, all this awareness, right, has affected your life personally. Right, like when when you are at the end of the the marketing, right, being marketed, and you feel yourself, you know, persuaded to take action. Like, do you look at yourself in a way and stop yourself, reflect? I'm so curious. Yeah, it's a good question. And so, like, by, by the way, know, for, for for those listening, uh, go watch the video because there's a bunch of question marks around our faces and our heads right now because like <laughs> this is like just like priming all these questions down. Like we're gonna we see in the world with different eyes, which is amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah Fonzie that's a good question eh? and I think like you know I don't I'm definitely no expert and I think Daniel Kahneman Nobel Prize winner behavioral scientist author of Thinking Fast and Slow he was asked this he said oh you know you must be like a superpower you must act so differently he said no I literally don't act differently at all like it does I, you cannot there are two modes of thinking in the brain there is system one and system two system one is fast automatic unconscious makes 98% of our decisions And you can try to train that and like you can, but you, it, it's so quick that you rarely catch on to it. That said, you do occasionally pick up on it. So like I was in the cafe, I was in, I work often from a local coffee shop and I was in there today and there's this, there's this great um, technique, sales person technique that people use called the door in the face technique, mm. which is where you ask for something fairly big. And people say no. And then you follow up with something small. So Cialdini talks about this in his book, Persuasion. Mm -hmm. He said he would go up to people and say, in one set of scenarios, will you chaperone these kids who are, I think, also juvenile and imprisoned in a juvenile prison? It's like, <laughs> basically, they're kids you wouldn't want to chaperone around yeah. a zoo for your whole day on Sunday. He says, will you do this? Mm. Basically, no one says yes. It's actually a surprising amount of people do say yes. Like, <laughs> it's not 0%. <laughs> 
but basically no one says yes. In the second scenario, he uses this uh, foot, foot, uh, door in the face technique where he asks for something much bigger. So it's a bit of anchoring, but it's also this sort of dual question approach where he says, will you um, give up, be, mentor these children? We're looking for people to mentor these children for like a five-year course. Like over the period of five years, we would love someone to mentor these children, give an hour of your time each week. Obviously, no, barely anyone said no to that. I think some people did, weirdly, but barely anyone said no. Yeah. And then he follows up with the the smaller ask and says, well, you know, okay, if you can't do that, no worries. By the way, we're looking at people to chaperone on Sunday. A much larger, I think three times as many people said yes to that request versus the first one. Mm. And so you learn about this stuff. I learn about this stuff. Yeah. And then I'm at, I'm at a coffee shop earlier today because there's this other example of this, which was, again, done by waitresses, and it showed how you could apply this to business. Waitress yeah. goes up to people and says, do you want a dessert? Mm. And if she leaves at three minutes between saying, do you want a dessert, and them saying no, and then says, do you want tea and coffee? No one will want tea and coffee. If he or she says, do you want a dessert, and then asks, and if people say no, asks immediately, okay, but do you want tea and coffee? They're much more likely to say yes. So there's this sort of um, intimacy, this in- immediate, like, okay, say no to one, but get them to say yes to the other. And I just noticed it at the coffee shop. I was like, that's so funny. Like, they, he, he, like the guy, he came in and he said, um, so what, well, you know, what can I get you today? Do, would you like to try one of our like really nice um, sandwiches that we put together? It's quite expensive. The person said no. And like, oh, okay, no worries. What about this lovely iced coffee we've got today, which is again, more expensive than what pe- people would normally have. Yeah. And got the person to say yes like that. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll try the coffee. I'll try this um, iced latte. And I was sitting there like, that was it. <laughs> thinking, thinking that guy, look, they've been done. And then I looked down at what I was drinking. <laughs> the iced coffee. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh man, they got me too. <laughs> oh, well, they God. did that to you, Fancy, the other day when you brought the the breakfast, uh, the Dude. perfect tacos, and then you come up, you come home with a tray of coffee and juice, and you're like, bro, I just I just oh. asked you for a breakfast taco. Yeah, they upsold me the the whole store. Um, <laughs> it's not. Yeah, it's not that that is so cool. It, that that reminds me a little bit of the price anchoring type of deal, right? Where mm. they go on on a person. This is how we've experienced it. We're in a live event that they're selling from stage and, you know, they drop, you know, this campaign or this system has, you know, uh, has been responsible for a million dollars in profits. So Mm -hmm. that is the first number that people get in their head. Right. And they use now that as a reference for whatever number that comes after. So if they would be selling that system for, I don't know, $1.5 million, people would be like, whoa, that is extremely expensive. But then they go like, hey, you can have all this <laughs> for and $47. more. $47. For, yeah, for, you know, for 20 grand. And people are like, whoa, so cheap, right? And there's a lot more buildup in there. And I, I, think that, I think that technique has been raped like many times and like where... You know, it's crazy. You go to these webinars, right? It's like, hey, this the full value of this is twenty thousand dollars, but you can have it today at twenty seven, right? And you're like, what's that actually make make sense, right? Like, is that the real value? And I think like bullshit marketing. We go back to that, right? There's a lot of people right now trying to trying to use these like techniques, but it, people are smarter today, right? They 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 catch on to it. And I think they're more aware. They they. I feel like now, or maybe this is just my perception because we just live so deep in that world that we just see offers all the time of on, of this type, mm-hmm. right? Um, that we are extremely aware of it. But yeah, I do agree that to an extent pe- people are, um, by being more aware, I don't know what is the, the right word to use, but they're a little bit more immune to some of those mm-hmm. tactics. Do you think, do you think that, do you think like people are building some, you know, I'm doing air quotes in here, immunity to some of these behavioral nudges? Yeah. 
Potentially, potentially. I think, unfortunately, so many of our decisions are made by this quick snap system one part of our brain that we we think we're immune, but we're often not. Like, mm. There's been lots of studies in um, like criminal cases, um, mm. fictional criminal cases, which actual lawyers will take part in, where the person who is is suing starts with a range of differences once one scenario they're suing for 20 grand one scenario they're suing for 50 one scenario they're suing for a million one scenario they're suing for 100 million and each scenario is just i've spilled a bit of coffee on my hand and it's too hot for example <laughs> and it, it doesn't matter what the anchor is how ridiculous it is in the 100 million scenario they always get more money mm. um so like there's these you know there's these weird examples where anchoring still has an effect even if it's a ridiculous amount and yeah, even if you yeah. Sort no, of absolutely and like I would always say, look, there's one company that probably could charge anything they want in the world and people would pay for it and yet use anchoring consistently. And I think it shows that it, it works. And that's yeah. that's Apple. What do you like believe? Steve Jobs yeah. was a master of anchoring. Would always, if you watch the introduction, my favorite is of, of the iPad. Mm. He's standing on stage saying, um, because there'd been a lot of debate in the, in the lead up to that about how much it would cost. Now, most people said it should cost no more than $250 because what the hell are you going to use an iPad for? I've got a phone and I've got a laptop. One person said it might cost $999 because it's quite advanced technology. And on stage, Steve Jobs standing has just done a presentation, presses a button, $999 symbol appears behind him. And he says, some of you have said it will cost this much, which makes a lot of sense. This is a huge development. There's been a lot of work put into it. It's a massive innovation in the field. And then he presses a button. But we've managed to get the price right down, and then the nine 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 literally shatters into a million pieces and goes yeah. to four nine nine. We've managed to get it down to four hundred and ninety nine dollars, mm. and the journalists in the room are like, "Fuck, ripping and cheering, that's amazing!" And they're the exact same journalists who earlier that week were saying it shouldn't cost more than two hundred and fifty dollars, but just with a Raving. simple anchor. Yeah, yeah but it, you know, sort of anchor it, it influences people. Absolutely. That said, I, th I think the the financial, like the pricing anchors, everyone knows them now. Sort yeah, of yeah. overused. I think there's more interesting ways to use anchoring. Yeah. You know, like if you, the De Beers example is a great one. Uh, you shared it earlier. You know, saying two and a half months worth of your salary to is, mm. is how much a, uh, engagement ring should yeah. cost is is a much more interesting use of anchoring than just, you know, 999 reduced Absolutely. to 499. I, I love the the Apple because I experienced something very similar. Um, I just got the, the new crazy headphones that Apple has and, you know, that was a big decision. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, okay, I'm making the investment. 500 bucks, you know, this pair of headphones and hashtag business expense. But, uh, but like the decision, it was funny because then we got these amazing headphones from HubSpot, right? Their beats are amazing, yeah. like great quality. And uh, the price is a little bit lower. And I'm like, oh my gosh, let me watch this video comparing both of them. And there was like this one guy that was explaining that you go to the Apple store and you see both headphones right there, right? Because be like Apple sells beats, right? And you see the 500 something and then the other one. And you're like, okay, quality might be similar, maybe like pref different preferences, but the main difference is not, it's not much. And the guy's like, well, maybe Apple released those, those maybe they're marginally better but the price is so high. So maybe they're selling more beats because people go to the store, they see both. They see, you know, the, the main Apple headphones, the uh, Max, whatever, AirPod Max. And they're like, oh my gosh, 500 bucks. But then we have the beats, 300, 250. I might get those because, you know, they mm -hmm. still do the job, right? So I'm very curious, maybe. And if somebody listening has that data, that would be very interesting to, to, to see. Did they actually sold more beats after they released a more expensive version yeah. of the headphones, right? Um, so in a sense, it'd be like, okay, how do we present, you know, price anchoring between products, right? And uh, and we've debated this. 
inside of our own programs, right? We have the we have a service. We have a we just released a done with you with people that we've been enjoying thoroughly to to do it. And we're like, okay, how do we actually price this thing, right? Is it it's not time based, right? It's value based, and the price conversation has been present, very present in our inside of our business for the last two years, right? So, um, have you found some some research or? or some information on like to help people price their things, right? A lot of people that listen to the show, they might be selling a service, oh, right? Yeah. They might be selling something like, what are some practical tips that we can use maybe to, to target or, uh, or to, to, to take advantage when it comes to pricing mm -hmm. ethically, right? Number one tip is to stop pricing based on, on pure cost. And I know that might sound manipulative or it might sound like an odd thing to say, But well, one you don't. I guarantee you, you don't. You do not buy a product which is priced based on cost unless you're down at your local grocery store. Like the the vast majority of things you buy, I, I mean, there was a thread about McDonald's the other day. The cost of a hamburger to actually produce is is literally cents. <laughs> you're paying for a brand. You're definitely yeah. not paying for nutrition. Yeah. Um, so that's the number one tip. You, just when you're talking earlier, I'm thinking about price decoys. So Apple, I don't know if they've done this with your headphones because I think they want people to buy them. But I think it's a really good example of have they created a product that they don't want to sell. Mm. They just want to use it to anchor people onto another product. And I know they've done this before because if you go and look at, um, I've, I used to have an Apple watch and I always wanted to buy a new band because I didn't like the band that I had. And if you go and look at new bands on that page, they have like, ridiculously priced so brands. expensive i think they're like armani brands or like gucci brands which are a thousand dollars you know more than the actual <laughs> watch itself and I, I, there's no way i mean they sell it to like maybe 0.001 yeah they're still gonna be a percentage right they don't, yeah they don't make money on it all it does is make a 50 pound band which is a ridiculous amount of money for a bit of plastic <laughs> a 50 pound band look like really good value that's yeah. all it's there for and the science behind this comes from a brilliant book by dan Ariely which is called um uh which is called predictably irrational and in the book he gives this example and this is way back of the economist so the economist is a magazine subscription you know you can subscribe to the economist and he couldn't he was reading it one day and he couldn't believe what they had in there because it said it was three options to subscribe to the economist one option the top option was um web only and also yeah web only and it cost like 150 quid and then the bottom option was print only and it cost 79 quid quid is is dollars in Doll the, US. Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. The, the currency um <laughs> and then he had a then he had a middle one 79 150 and then he had a middle one which was um web and print for 120 he was like why would anybody who would be buying the web only version for 150 when you get that for 120 And you get both because so, mm. you get the web and the print one for 120. And so he did this test. He brought it to his students and showed half of the students the version that I just talked to you through. Mm. And then the other half, a version with that middle option removed. So no longer can you get the both. You have to either pick between the two. Yeah. And what he found was the average amount people spent was drastically higher when you had this decoy. When you had mm. this decoy product that nobody mm. would buy, it just massively it made everybody think, oh, I need both web and print because it's such a good deal versus when you had to choose between the two. And so lots of companies use these decoys to anchor people to a higher price. I think the example of Apple is a very good one. The signature range in McDonald's is another good one of like yeah. a more expensive version, which is not particularly sold a lot of, but, but people try and buy it. 
And there are all sorts of examples. And I think as a, as a marketer, you know, I wouldn't necessarily go out and say, look, this is going to revolutionize your marketing, go stick an anchor on everything. But when you're thinking about pricing, you need to bear these things in mind because people will never view your price rationally. They will never view your price rationally. So you need to approach it with the understanding that there will be there will be irrational ways that will look at it. And just being aware of that can help you price better and to, to increase your margins and maybe to get what your product's actually worth. Yeah, Dude, absolutely. Phil, man, I hope you are really appreciated a buffer. I, I, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they appreciate you so much. Oh, I am. But, but right. you are a well of knowledge, my friend. And it's it's amazing. Um you know, I, I can't I, believe we're almost at the hour. I'm like, what? Yeah, and just I, mean, I want to <laughs> kind of like frame these for for the listener. And now is all these things that we've talked today. Personally, and correct me if, I, if I'm wrong. I want to hear your opinion too. But I feel like all of these things can be used and applied to your content, writing your message while you're talking, sharing information, right? right? Um, even I, I think even the halo effect, right? You can use it as when you're about to start talking about a certain topic, just refer to a very specific person with a very high status, right? As your example. And then you are putting the, the halo halo effect into effect. In motion. Um, so man, yeah. th this has been absolutely amazing. And, and I know we're getting here towards the end, but I, I am so curious on which one is your favorite nudge and which one has been the one that you've used the most throughout your career. <laughs> um use the most yeah uh, it's difficult to call that i've got a favorite though i've got an easy favorite right. just because you know i didn't really believe people were properly irrational until i heard this one so there's obviously scarcity the idea that we value scarce resources much higher yeah, yeah. the day that concord announced that they would stop flying between new york and london in like right. two years time the price of the tickets went through the roof because it suddenly became a scarce resource we all know this and this isn't irrational in a way it's because back in our when we were cavemen this was a really smart thing to do to go after scarce resources but one of my favorite examples of this is a is a study in a supermarket in the states and in the study they had big signs up which said buy soup and people went out and bought i think it was two and a half two and a half cans of soup and it's like well done marketing works you say buy soup people buy soup but then they tried a scarcity variant and all it said was buy soup and then a little star and underneath it said something like limited to 12 cans per customer now this is irrational <laughs> nobody was buying 12 cans of soup prior to it there was not a single person who went away with like 20 cans of soup nobody bought 12 cans of soup but that one message made the soup seem scarce the amount of soup people bought It's like three and a half cans, maybe even four cans, if I remember rightly, wow. once they saw that message. So it's just, I love yeah. that example because I think it, you know, we always, we think of ourselves as, as rational human beings and in a major part we are, but so much of our life is spent being a bit irrational. Yes. And as marketers, we're in the, we're in the business of making people change their decisions. So the best thing you can do as a marketer is understand how those decisions are made in the first place and, and yeah. try and apply those findings to your work. I, yeah. I, I feel this example so deeply, right? Like in the last two years, obviously the, you, you he heard just about- just came from buying a bunch you, of soup, so. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I mean, in the last two years, like, you probably heard the craziness about toilet paper in the United States when all this oh, yeah, like COVID yeah. thing started, right? Like people, yeah. we literally went to Walmart to see people fight for toilet paper. Like people were just like, <laughs> and it was crazy. But also there's like the supermarket Aldi and uh, they were the same thing, limiting the tuna cans. And it was crazy because as you're explaining this thing and they're like, okay, 
you know, only two cans per, per person, right? And I'm like, I call yeah. my wife. I'm like, where are you? Can you drive out Aldi? Because I need to buy four yeah. cans of, uh, of tuna, right? Which in the past, I would have bought just two. And then the next day I would have bought next, right? And it's, uh, it's, it hits home because like it happens every single day. So, you know, I, I want to uh-huh. encourage uh, if you're listening, like, keep your eyes open for these opportunities, these things, right? Because yeah. those are things that you can implement ethically, right? In your business or in your message or in your content on how to create, how to frame things. I put a note in here um, uh, to, to... To buy more soup. <laughs> no, to, <laughs> to buy more soup, yeah. Uh, to encourage encourage the people to like to not listen to the podcast, right? <laughs> you know, I, I think this is a great intro and we can test it, right? And see what, what's up. And, and uh, so... so- there's a key takeaway, and I might just be making this up in my mind, <laughs> but I find it interesting how there's all these these tools, right? All these different nudges, and there are lots of very different creative ways of applying all of these, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for example, we talk about the the price anchoring, that you know that hey, you get this, and this is the value, and this, and this is the value, that is overused, right? And now people see it and they can catch up to it, but Again, I'm sure you can find a very different way of price anchoring your product, right? Um, and have the same effect. The scarcity, right? Usually is we only accept five people. What if instead of saying that we only accept five people, you say limited to only doing it once. You can only do this thing one time, this cohort, and that's it. So you better take advantage of it, right? I feel like that's a sense of scarcity because people say, oh, man... They must have people asking to come in multiple times in a sense, or at the same time, it's so good that they just, yeah, they just want to try, uh, try it again, whatever. Um, so that I find that super interesting because sometimes I feel like I'm just seeing the same thing over and over again, but by knowing those laws and principles that you mentioned at the very beginning, you have the foundation to then maybe think a little bit more creatively in how you apply yep. this inside of your business. Yep. And that is extremely powerful. And foundation's a good word. I, think about it like architecture. If you're building a building, if you didn't understand how architecture works, we would, every single one of us would be living in a mud hut and it would look the same. There are foundational things you have to know about buildings, about how deep you have to have to dig, how how much weight you can things can hold, how much structure, what materials work. For me, that is like behavior science to marketing. You need the foundations. You need to learn that. And then you can get creative. Look how many wonderful buildings there are. Architecture is extremely Mm. varied, but only because you have that same foundational understanding that you can become creative and build these other things. Otherwise, we'd all be be in mud huts. So I think that's like, that's why I I think applying behavior science is is so valuable. It gives you that foundation to build on. Yeah, you're, you're doing so much good for the marketing world, my friend. Uh, <laughs> all the marketers appreciate it. Yeah. Phil, uh, I'm ex- what is your favorite book out of all this? Because you mentioned so many resources, so many books, and we, we we wrote them down so we make sure we refer to them in the in the notes. But I'm yeah, it's interesting. You must have you uh, you must have you a favorite what? because if you've listened, like I'm just going to give diff- a, a book I've read recently, which I really like, because definitely the ones I've referenced so far, go and read. But if you're new to this, if you're interested in it, and you want a slightly different version, this book here is called The Biggest Bluff. Mm-hmm. This is a, a sort of behavior journalist, but knows a lot about psychology and behavior science. And she decided she was going to study how people make decisions and not apply it to marketing, but apply it to becoming a poker player. 
Ooh. And this is her story of how she applied all these behavior science principles to poker, becoming a poker player and like eventually becoming, I, I won't ruin it, but very, very successful. Still there, <laughs> Spoiler alert, alert. Yeah. Girl, just, yeah. <laughs> just keep it. Skip it. <laughs> she, she does journalism now, but only as a hobby. Um, wow. That's a good guy. Go check out The Biggest Bluff. Oh, that's that's that good. sounds so much fun. It sounds like potentially they can make a movie out of out of that book in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then this is, I'm like, last question, five questions ago. Phil, he, 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 he did take that, you know, we got time, like, pretty okay. Like, you know? Yeah, I, I took it too hard. <laughs> well, I'm just curious, how do you remember, like, do you have a database? How do you remember all these stories? As soon as you read them, do you immediately share them? Or... Do you have a naturally good memory? I've spent, I mean, I, I do, you know, I talk about them a lot. I'm always talking about them on the show. Um, so there's, I don't think I've got a naturally good memory at all. So I think it's just that. There is, I, I there's use hope. an app. There's whenever, hope then. When, I, <laughs> when I'm reading a book, because often, I mean, reading a book is difficult because you want to just sit there and enjoy it. But at the same time, you want to be able to, to, to remember it, a few yeah. things. So I use an app called Highlighted, where I can take a picture of a page, scan um, a bit of the notes and then tag it so i'll read something i'll say oh that, that's a really good point about anchoring so i'll scan it with highlighted and then tag it as anchoring mm -hmm. and then put it you know in my notes and can refer back to it at a later stage so that that really helps that's one thing that i use but yeah, yeah otherwise i just i just spend too much time at the pub chatting about all this rubbish that's my problem <laughs> wait you do you do go to a bar and just talk to people about this stuff Random people. I'll go up and I'll find something checking. I don't do that. I was like, you no imagine? way. I was okay. like, your faces. So, you're like, oh, no, no, no. no. But by the way, no, this, I was, this I was like, crazy. This sounds great. I'm about to go do that. This thing. is why the with the, the face that we took. We went. We were in a coffee shop once, and there was this guy that sat next to us with a sign. What was it? Looking interesting conversations. Or yeah, he, he's like looking for interesting conversations, and he just sat there with this sign. And we were like, I think we were talking or having a meeting, and uh, he sat there probably for like ten or fifteen minutes, yeah. and just chilling, like not even drinking coffee. He was just there with a sign and people like looked at the sign and kept walking look at the sign kept walking and then we got up and we're like man nice to meet you man like we're, we're like yeah we're like fascinated by this like tell us about it and, i explicitly uh, remember his question he's like you gotta share with me what is one thing that you believe to be true that most people that you share it with they don't um and it actually gave for a very good conversation but you know, I feel that that's a little bit more open-ended. Like, hey, man, have you heard about behavioral science <laughs> in marketing? And how, yeah, you know? I'd kick you out of the pub, wouldn't I? Yeah. Definitely getting no drinks for it. Either they kick you out or they yeah. hire you and give you beer for free for the rest of your life. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> <Yeah>. Phil, <laughs> Phil uh, last question of the show. I mean, as an action point, there's so many here, but I, I, I like the pricing one, right? Like, that's something that we ask and, uh, and something very specific for people to kind of go and, and maybe implement and test and, and, and experiment. So if you, if you test it, let us know, put it in the comments. But uh, Phil, where, where will you be if you did not publish? If Where would I be if I did not publish podcasts? Podcast, content. Uh, yeah. Just sitting on that sofa, maybe, <laughs> watching a bit of telly. Pro probably, <laughs> probably crying at Stanford Bridge. <laughs> oh, yeah. Spending yeah. more time there. That's what I'll be doing. Uh, we, don't, we don't have that wah, wah, wah sound. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's awesome. I, I really want to encourage everybody to go and check out Phil's podcast. We're going to leave all the links right, right below. Uh, yeah. Amazing production. Um, you did mention... Uh, can I have two more minutes? I'm very curious. Like you, you mentioned, you're not going to sleep tonight, <laughs> Phil. That's it. You're spending the whole night. Um, I'm very curious on your cadence, right? Like obviously, highly uh -huh. produced. We we produce three a week for a reason. It's it's not highly produced. Um, yeah. uh, to to 
some people's standards, but for us it is. <laughs> but I'm very curious, like why you decided on that cadence, like how, how do you how do you create? Like, what's your creation cadence? So, as a little bit, can you walk us through a little bit of your process? Because a lot of the people that we help, right, they're going through that. They're trying to figure out like what is their 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 production cadence. How do they actually remove friction to create? There's a lot of people that have jobs. There's people that are busy operating their own businesses, and this mm. is a big lift for them. So, can you share a little bit of like how do you actually came to to that cadence and how do you operate? Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, like you said, it's Nudge, Nudge Podcast is the show I run. Um, you, Nudge Dash Marketing Science Simplified if you're struggling to find it. Um, and yeah, at the moment, it's a bi-weekly cadence. So I only I only p publish a podcast every two weeks, which like has its pros and cons, arguably a lot of cons. Doesn't help me out with the charts. Doesn't <laughs> help me out with downloads. Doesn't help me out with heaps of things. Purely like just a time and quality thing. Like I, I'm a bit of a perfectionist and I, And, and 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 I'm very like insecure as well. Like I'm conscious of the fact that I'm not, you know, I'm who am I? I'm some marketer. I'm some dude with a microphone. I'm talking to people far smarter than me. So I really want to make sure the shows are are good. I really want to research them. I want to put a lot of time into them. So you know, for me, every single show I record with a guest. I don't record myself at that stage. It's just about getting the guest content. I will have read their book already. After I record the show, I'll go and do a heap of research to find similar studies to reference or other topics to talk about, weave a story behind it, and then yeah. record myself doing my script and then stitch that together and publish it. And that just takes heaps of time, even yeah. for a 20-minute show like Nudge. Um, but it just means, hopefully, the show is fairly high quality. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and it's concise as well. Like I think, I think there is there are two styles of podcast i really like this style and this is a style of podcast i listen to when i'm out running like the, the two dudes or two people talking and <laughs> just, just having just a dudes. yarn just dudes. I, well often, <laughs> yeah hopefully not hopefully not hopefully arrange but like i love that style of Yeah. Uh, and, and like it is cool i think it's called two dudes talking that's why i said it right. uh, oh that's the name of the actual podcast <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i've heard people, I've heard people. <laughs> no 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 not the actual podcast <laughs> but just the genre i'm going way off topic i like two styles of podcast i really like this style of like just having a yarn having a chat and the chin wag and then i like uh, for me the other other style is like well if i if i don't want that i want something really condensed i want it 20 minutes i want to get the yeah. points across i don't want the waffle so i like the in between that and I, i've i went for the other one so i went to the yeah. other extreme and Love that's it. why there's a two weeks cadence but eventually fingers crossed we'll be down to a weekly cadence yes amazing months. I, i do want to encourage everybody to go and check out this podcast nudge podcast but the value of the production is absolutely amazing yeah. i can totally understand why it is bi-weekly and I mean, just the quality of information. You've had some incredible guests. Harry Dry, I love reading marketing examples. Every time yeah. I, I get hit with that, I'm like, oh, this is so cool. How you do it is 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 not your typical just conversation, but you are reflecting on what they said. It's you just weave the story so good into in in the podcast. So I do want to encourage everybody to go check it out. You also had how was his name? Um, I think he's the CEO of Ogilvy. Um, I might. Rory Sutherland. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, he's a he's a hero, isn't he? Everyone, a lot of people will know him. He's also that people say oh, I've had Rory Sutherland on my show 
because it's a great thing to say but he will say yes to every podcast so watch out folks because if you're getting hit with i've had rory sutherland on my show like, oh my that's God. just a bit of halo effect he does say yes to everyone Stick a shot. Yeah. But he is he is amazing he <laughs> yeah is, i think that's my most listened to episode but, like yeah, his, his book alchemy is well worth it well worth a read as well mm, yeah fun, fun fact we actually use the halo effect and not so much right now but at the when beginning we, we used it a lot to get people on the yeah. podcast we're like oh we, yeah, we yeah. would just name drop the whole thing um awesome. and it, it, it would really work work out there plus you stop talking because we have to like finish to go to bed i know <laughs> phil where can people find you besides the podcast where can they connect with you yeah find me on linkedin connect on linkedin find yeah. me on twitter phil agnew on there so phil with two l's a g n e w i'm on tiktok tiktok as of this week can you believe it let's go so search for nudge pod nudge pod all one word on tiktok you'll find me on there uh drop me an email as well phil at nudgepodcast.com that's phil with two l's um and nudgepodcast.com as well if you're nice. interested awesome. in that but yeah, yeah the show's where you want to go yeah. I, I i can totally see your tiktok blowing up with all these stories and like actionable advice and you know these principles i think people oh, it, your content on tiktok is the one that i would look at it and then go binge watch every other single video that you have on your profile. And then 10 hours later, forget all about it and be like, man, I need to go. <laughs> I need to go back and refer to it. I watch it again. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I've got no idea what you're doing. If you want to laugh, go and look at it. Because it is an, <laughs> an absolute amateur. So if you want to get laugh, go and have a look at it. But we would love to, uh, you know, share a drink, uh, one of those six dollar co- or sh- like six quid coffee. All right. No, a, d- a, dr- a drink at the <laughs> pub or, or a drink at the pub. Yeah. Whatever you drink, uh, oh, yeah. we'd love to and uh, visit London and watch Arsenal lose. That would be amazing. We, get, we oh, can go watch good. an Arsenal Chelsea game. Let's do it. Honestly, let me know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Sweet guys. With that said, thank you so much for tuning to the Contents Profit Podcast. Go ahead and follow this show in your favorite platforms and on social media at Beast Bros Co. That is Ryan and Phil here. Help you move one step closer towards your goal which i'm sure he did please don't forget to share this episode and and leave a five-star review see ya bye guys